You're listening to the Fitness Matters Podcast with Paula B. And this is episode number 48, Dealing with Cravings. Well, hello again, my dear killer bees. How are you? And happy Sunday, maybe? To you, depends on what day you're listening to this, but you guys, you guys, I am so excited about today's episode because I actually had an entirely different one already recorded and ready to go, and I decided to bump it. In fact, I need to record a new intro. I'm thinking to myself of things I need to do, but I got the best question in the entire world in my Get Your Goal group well, technically speaking, it was last night, but I didn't see it until this morning. And I needed to answer this question so thoroughly that I'm creating a whole new podcast just to answer this question because I know, I know that this is going to be so helpful to so many of you. This is a question that I get. Actually, it's not even one question, just so you know. It's actually a group of questions, but this is a question that I get or that I see really, really frequently, and I think that I've dealt with it at least a little bit here and there, but today, this particular question was worded so so eloquently and so beautifully that I really feel like this is going to be super, super helpful for you to hear exactly how my answer applies to something that that you personally really could have written or asked me about. And super quickly, just in the Get Your Goal group, one of the reasons why it's such a great group is that you really do have rather personal, and I'm not going to say unlimited, but rather personal one-on-one contact with me. In fact, in the question, this person mentions that we had a video chat because we do. The Get Your Goal group, it's a paid accountability and coaching group. There's a link to it in the either the description box or the show notes, wherever you're watching and listening, so that you can check it out and see what it's all about. But this kind of question and these kinds of mindset issues are exactly what we deal with. And I'm so excited to honestly be given the opportunity to have this conversation with you because because I know this is going to be so super helpful. Okay, so here's the question. Paula, I'm having a mindset issue I hope you can help me with. I haven't exactly seen a podcast or a post on it yet, ah, because there's one now. So if there is one, I'd love to be pointed to it. It's this. It's this one right here, right now. (laughs) The issue is I'm having a hard time seeing myself having to control my eating for the rest of my life. Most of my life, I have eaten whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. It never caused me a problem except for the last 10 years. Part of my earlier eating habits also stem from using food as an inexpensive and easy way to find pleasure while raising children and during college before that. I've been eating my calories exactly. This poster is losing weight, just so you know, and and using the program that I suggest about finding your exact right number of calories, exercising moderately, drinking your water, minding your sleep, minding your stress. Anyways, I've been eating my calories exactly, plus or minus 25 of them, the majority of the time. I'm committed to losing this weight. I have been doing this since July 4th. But the last couple of weeks, I have been struggling with huge desires to eat the way I used to. I hear people in different groups saying that their tastes in food and desires have changed. I wish mine would change. I still want to eat two whole cupcakes instead of cutting one in half. 
I still want to snack while putting the groceries away. I still desire larger portions. I still look through old recipes and drool at things I used to make. But making them would be torturous because I would just want to eat too much. I think the hardest thing, even more than controlling myself during weight loss, is thinking about maintenance afterwards. I'm not good at intuitive eating. I have tried it a few times, and I'm scared that without the rigidity of counting calories, I'll just start eating whatever feels good to me. After counting calories this long, it's obvious to me that what feels good to me has been way too much. I remember in our video chat, you mentioned something about realizing about how one has to eat in order to maintain a smaller physique. Is there a way that this mindset becomes second nature and not such a constant white knuckle experience? Oh my gosh. I love this. I love everything about this. And the thing is that I see questions and posts kind of like this really frequently in the Killer Beehive, which, not to be confusing, but that is my free Facebook group that is also super supportive, super interactive. I do a Q&A in there every single week. It's They're both fantastic groups for different reasons, but I get questions like this all the time. And generally speaking, and it's part of why I like this question so much, this question this poster understands that this is a mindset issue. 99.9% of the time, you guys, I see these posts and these questions like, do you have any tips and tricks for helping me deal with cravings? What's the best way to not eat late at night? How can I eat healthy snacks instead of junk food snacks? The questions that I normally get are about controlling behavior about trying to control what you eat and what you do. And this question, even though, even though it is still kind of about controlling behavior, this questioner truly understands that this is a mindset issue and not a simple matter of have carrot sticks nearby. <laughs> this, is, this is what normally would come from a question about cravings. And here's the thing. There are plenty of tips and tricks. I mean, I, when you when you clicked on this, maybe you thought dealing with cravings that I was going to have tips and tricks for how to make sure that you have healthy foods and how to make sure that you're not snacking at night and, and things like that. And I totally get that, that that might be what you're looking for, but I have something even better. You guys, this kind of an issue, it's kind of like, it's kind of like having weeds in the middle of your lawn. You know, if you just mow your lawn, like if you just have tips and tricks, like have carrot sticks nearby, all you're doing is cutting off the top of it. All you're doing is kind of making it look okay, more or less. What I'm going to teach you today is going to dig this problem weed up by the roots. Rather than rather than continuing to white knuckle it, rather than continuing to mow over the top of this problem, I'm going to teach you exactly how to dig up underneath it so that it is not a problem at all ever again. And here's what we're going to do. The first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to have you listen to another podcast. <laughs> and I know that's not very good advice. And I'm going to go over it pretty thoroughly today, but it's a really good foundation. I'm going to have you listen to facts versus opinions. This is what we're talking about today. We are talking about facts 
versus opinions. Now, in the Facts versus Opinions podcast, I was really talking so much more about your opinions about yourself. And this one is a little bit more subtle. Today, we're actually talking about opinions, but I'm going to use a different word. I'm going to simply use the word thoughts. And I want you to know that thoughts and opinions are essentially the same thing. And what I mean by that is that they are not facts. I don't know if you noticed, but I sure did. The entire question was filled nonstop. Uh, Literally every single sentence of the original question was a thought. You guys, this could be mind-blowing for you. We all, every single one of us, have these thoughts about ourselves, about our behaviors, about the world, about things, and we really, really, really believe that they are facts. For example, even the very first sentence, I'm having a hard time seeing myself having to control my eating for the rest of my life. Now, I understand that that sounds like a fact. I mean, I'm having a hard time with something. That's, that's clearly a fact, right? But let's go over this really quickly. A fact is something that everybody can agree on, that everybody could you know, prove it in a court of law, that it is a fact for everyone, not just for one person. Now, here's the thing. I know that there are compelling reasons why a lot of these things sound very factual. I understand that you could probably try and convince me that this is a fact, but it's not. It's a thought. I'm having a hard time seeing myself in a certain way is a thought. When we have thoughts that feel like facts and we present them out, we have, because we're thinking of them as facts, we have kind of closed our minds to thinking any other way about them. They're just facts, right? I mean, the sky is blue and I'm having a hard time seeing myself controlling what I eat. This is immutable. This is unchangeable. This is, this is a fact, right? But, but when we can realize that these things that we are telling ourselves are actually thoughts, that changes everything. Everything. Every sentence that this person threw out there is a thought. Even the ones that sound really good. I mean, honestly, I'm committed to losing this weight. That sounds very facty. That sounds really helpful. That's awesome. Some thoughts are helpful. Some thoughts are not. The fact is, the fact is that when you can parse out the difference between facts and thoughts, you can get some agency over things that feel like a problem. Let's go over some more thoughts. I still want to eat two whole cupcakes instead of cutting one in half. I still want to snack while putting the food away. I still desire larger portions. 
Those sound like facts, right? She has these thoughts that are factual, meaning if she wants a cupcake, then she wants, well, not even one cupcake, but if she wants two cupcakes, then that is a fact that she wants two cupcakes. No, she is thinking that she wants two cupcakes. Thoughts can be changed. Facts cannot. The sky is blue. I mean, the sky does change colors. I know that's where you're going to argue with me on that one. It's why I don't usually come up with that one, except for the fact that it's the easiest fact. (laughs) Because everybody knows that the sky is blue. But of course, when the sun is going down, sometimes the sky is very pink. Sometimes when the sky is very cloudy, it just looks white or gray. Like, I get that 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 is not an every single minute of every single day, the sky is always blue kind of a thing. But I, I, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep throwing that out there just because that one is so easy to say. (laughs) The sky, this guy sometimes looks different, but it is always the sky. Your thoughts, however, can and frequently do change over time. Sometimes your thoughts change all by themselves. Sometimes your thoughts don't. When you have thoughts that feel like the truth, like facts, like beliefs, like things that you can't change, like things that just are, like things that just exist, that you don't have any control over, then you don't try to have control over them. And that is what is so mind-blowing about this work. That is why this digs up the craving at the root rather than mowing over the top. Your craving is a thought. When your brain is offering you, I want more cupcakes, I want a bigger portion, I want to eat more, That is a thought. And let's just follow this through super quickly. That thought feels very truthful. It feels like an urge. It feels like not necessarily hunger, but like desire to eat. That thought creates a feeling of wanting a feeling of desire, an urge. That urge frequently, I mean, sometimes it fuels us to either act on it or resist it. Generally speaking, those are the things that we do. We very rarely let that kind of a thought simply pass by us. We either eat something or we don't eat something, but we continue to think the same thought over again that I want to eat. I want to have this. I want to eat more. I want a bigger portion. I want both cupcakes, those kinds of things. We get in a state of resistance of that thought that then fuels more thinking about the thought. And then the result, the result is that we continue to have that thought about wanting more and we probably even have other thoughts about it where we judge ourselves for feeling like we want more. We find frustration in the wanting. We, we have another collection of thoughts about that original thought that we think is a fact. 
The thought of wanting to eat can be changed. All thoughts can be changed. Realizing that a craving is a thought and not a fact can be truly life-changing. It can be the difference between struggling and not struggling. When you understand that thoughts are not facts and that thoughts can change, it gives you a whole different direction to go into. Rather than simply trying to come up with tips and tricks of different ways to behave in the face of that thought of I want, you can simply change the thought. Let's talk really quickly, though, about why your brain is offering you these thoughts. Your brain offers you thoughts all the time. All the time. Some of them feel problematic. Some of them feel lovely. Some of them feel like some of them pass by and we don't even notice them. Your brain is always thinking. Your brain offers you somewhere, I've heard different numbers, but somewhere between 10 and 60,000 thoughts a day. We don't consciously hear most of them. The ones that we do hear tend to be the ones that make us feel something rather strongly. An urge, a desire, particularly something that is at least marginally related to your survival. I mean, the fact is you have to eat to survive. So that kind of an urge is going to be a stronger thought than something much milder, like, oh, you know, I need to do laundry today or something like that. That may evoke, actually, I'm I'm saying that because I do need to do laundry today, but and that may actually evoke a rather strong feeling in you of dread or excitement, depending on whether or not you love laundry or hate laundry. I don't really care one way or another for laundry. It's a chore that I do without thinking too hard about it. But I know that you understand the concept of having a thought go through your head and pass by without a lot of emotion behind it. A thought about food can have more emotion behind it, which therefore does a couple of things. Number one, it makes your brain even more efficient at it because you will think it more often. When you think something again and again and again, your brain gets super efficient at thinking that thing. Like anything that your brain gets efficient at, it just offers it up to you again and again because that's easy, because it's what your brain is supposed to do. Your brain is designed to do things efficiently. Your entire body actually is designed to do things as efficiently as possible. Your brain doesn't care whether or not a thought is painful or helpful or neutral or ridiculous or illogical or or anything in between. Your brain simply thinks something when it gets an electrical charge, a little a little feeling attached to it, that it thinks, ah, this is something that's important, and then it offers it to you again and again and again. That doesn't make it a fact. That doesn't even make it harder to change that thought. It doesn't make it anything except 
a thought that your brain is really efficient at thinking. Your brain is also, I'm going to say tricky, and I mean this in in kind of a good way. Your brain knows you. It knows you really well. It will offer you really excellent sounding evidence for why the original thought is truthful and helpful and something that you need to act on and something that's important. Your brain knows exactly what's important to you. Again, because these are thoughts that it has had before. It has gotten very efficient at giving you these thoughts. I had a client one time who really wanted to learn how to run. This was an in-person client many years ago. She really wanted to learn how to run and she was nervous about it as we all are about trying something new. And she had a long history of different kinds of lung issues. I, in fact, if I remember correctly, I, I know that she had had some issues with asthma. And I think there was probably even something like when she was really young, something that had happened with breathing that that just felt very, very real and very truthful to her that this would be something to be very cautious of and very careful of. And And I'm not I'm not dissing like a medical diagnosis of asthma. I'm saying that it was something that she was very aware of. So as we were learning to run, like everybody, I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever, ever picked up a walking pace into a little jiggity jog, you know that the first thing that feels like is that it's kind of hard to breathe until you can find a rhythm. And then it's kind of hard to move your legs like that. And then your whole body kind of hurts. And then everything feels really difficult and your heart starts to pound. And sometimes when your heart pounds, that feels a little bit panicky. So these are all, these are all things that happen to all of us. But what's really specifically happened with her is that we would start to run. We'd, you know, we'd pick it up. I, I am a a professional. I do pay attention to these things. I can hear her breathing. I can see the physical responses that she's having. She was not in any kind of medical danger. I really feel like I need to stress this to you. She's not in any kind of medical danger ever at any point in time during our learn to run sessions. But she would, she could make it about 10 to 15 seconds. But by the 22nd mark of running, she would start panicking. And that, and that's really what it was. Her brain would start sending her these thoughts of, my lungs are burning. I can't breathe. This is very difficult. Everything hurts. The, the kind of thoughts that we all have, but really specifically the thoughts about her lungs, that she couldn't breathe, that this was too hard for her lungs, was what she would tell me. And just so you know, if you can talk in complete sentences while you are running, you can still breathe. And it was totally fine. And again, I'm, I'm a professional. I was listening for wheezing. I mean, we had gone over her medical history. She was not in any medical danger at all. But her brain offered her the you can't breathe and this is a problem thought because that her brain knew that that would be the thing that got her to stop this new and scary thing that she was trying. Your brain knows exactly what kind of evidence to offer you that's going to make your cravings sound undeniable. 
And I don't know what that is. I could give you, I could give you some suggestions, but your brain knows. You probably know when you're sitting here listening to this podcast, you're probably like, oh, my brain totally tells me that that's going to be delicious. Or my brain totally tells me that I'll just get back on track tomorrow, that it's not that big of a deal, or I have to have that, or I did a little bit extra exercise today. So a few extra calories won't be a, a problem, etc. Whatever it is, it sounds really logical. That is your super efficient brain being your super efficient brain. It's not actually logical. It's not actually factual. It's just the the way your brain works. So when you, when you know, when you are armed with this knowledge, okay, these things that I am thinking are thoughts, not facts. And these things that I am thinking are simply efficient thoughts and not facts. Okay, that's fantastic. What do I do? What do I do? I'm on board, Paula. I get that a craving is a thought. I get that a craving has a lot of emotion attached to it, a lot of feeling attached to it. It feels very strong, but it is still just my brain being really efficient, offering me lots of evidence, offering me something that sounds logical. But what do I do? Well, my friends, you can. You can have carrot sticks nearby. But also, you can do some thought work. You can do some mindset work. Changing a thought that feels very factual, that feels like literally emotionally, has a lot of emotion attached to it, feels like such a strong urge, such a strong desire. Those thoughts can actually be changed the same way we change any thoughts. Here's what makes it a little bit more difficult. That emotional charge needs to be neutralized. That emotional charge that you feel, that strong desire, needs to be neutralized before you can really change the thought. You can have a new thought right now. You can think, and maybe you even do. I don't have to give in to this. You can think those new thoughts all you want, my friends. (laughs) Help yourself to it. They're not going to do as much good because they don't have the emotional charge behind them. I can withstand this craving doesn't feel very strong. That doesn't feel like something you believe in as much as I'm having a craving, which of course is a thought. So what do we need to do to neutralize that emotional charge? A couple of different things. I will tell you that getting underneath a deep-seated emotional thought, it's kind of like pulling a tooth. Have you ever watched somebody pull a tooth before? I mean, not like, I mean, not like when your kid has a loose tooth and, you know, it practically falls out on its own, but like my kids, my kids both had a lot of teeth extractions when they were younger. We, we got a mouthful of mess, all of us. <laughs> Unfortunately, my kids thankfully got my husband's eyesight, but both of them kind of got my teeth as far as we have big teeth, small jaws, lots of crowding, lots of issues. I've had permanent teeth pulled. My kids have had permanent teeth pulled just to make room in their mouths for all the teeth we've got. Anyways, I had the the weirdly dubious pleasure of watching my youngest son get teeth pulled before. It's fascinating. Kind of gross, but really fascinating. 
it's it's shockingly easy, which is terrifying for a person like me who has a really deep-seated fear of losing my teeth. I think all of us kind of have that fear. But really, even if the tooth is a, you know, a totally normal, fully grown tooth, I mean, he was young, so it wasn't fully grown, but even with long roots, even, even a good, solid tooth, you just start wiggling it. Even if it is not loose, you wiggle it and then you keep wiggling it and you wiggle it and you pull it and you wiggle it and you pull it and you wiggle it and you pull it and eventually it comes out. Your thought is exactly like that. You wiggle it. How do you wiggle it? By asking yourself some questions. Here's the thing. Most of the thoughts that you have, I mean, specifically like craving thoughts, most of the thoughts that you have are actually kind of illogical. Or they have some, well, they're not based in fact. Your brain can come up with all kinds of evidence why it feels true to you right now. But as we've talked about on lots of other podcasts, your brain's entire job is to look for and solve problems. So when you ask yourself a question, your brain will search for evidence of that new thing being true. When you ask yourself, what if, what if this craving wasn't a big deal? What if I didn't eat two cupcakes? What would that feel like? That one is not super helpful because your brain might come up with something like, well, then you'll feel miserable. Then you'll feel like, like we even said, then you will feel tortured because you would want to eat too much. Your brain will continue to offer you the same thoughts until you can ask yourself some questions that give you a different answer. It'll depend very much on your specific thoughts I'll give you some, some ideas, but you're going to need to do a little bit of thinking about this on your own when you're in the throes of that craving thought. But something like, what if I didn't think this? What if this isn't true? What if I didn't need to have two cupcakes? What if I was completely satisfied with one or a half? Or what if I didn't like cupcakes anymore? When you ask yourself a question, your brain is compelled to answer it. Your brain literally has to answer questions. That is, that is its job. That is what it does. It's very good at answering questions. Your brain also really wants to agree with itself. So when you can ask a question that kind of turns a corner from, hey, I have this craving and this craving is completely true, but you're saying, hey, what if this isn't true? your brain is going to want to agree with that new thought. Your brain loves to agree with itself. Start wiggling at those thoughts. Get I always think about it as like like a sticker kind of. You know how <laughs> this is entirely unrelated but it's really funny to me. So, if you watch my full-length videos, I just recently bought a glass display case that goes in in my set, my living room. And I bought it from Ikea. I was super happy with it. Totally love this glass display case. It's really pretty. It actually photographs really well. I'm really, really pleased with it. But 
I bought this and of course it's got glass panels, these huge glass panels that are on the sides of the display case. And each of these glass panels has a gigantic sticker on them. Who in the world decided that it was a good idea to put a gigantic sticker on a glass display case panel? Why wouldn't you put a vinyl cling? Why wouldn't you not put a sticker? <laughs> Why wouldn't you put like maybe a piece of paper with some tape on it or something? I know I know that that would rip. But but the point being this these stickers were ridiculous. I had to get out a razor blade and slice off the stickers. But that is exactly how I think about getting underneath a thought. The sticker, even though it felt like it was part of the glass, even though it was really stuck on there with the you know emotional glue of having years of thinking this thought and having lots of emotional charge and desire behind it, it still wasn't actually part of the glass. I could get a little thin razor blade underneath the sticker and eventually I was able to chip away and got that entire gigantic sticker up and off and thrown away. That is exactly what you can do with your craving thoughts. You get a little razor blade underneath one corner of one thought, and then you just start chipping away. You wiggle at it, you chip away at it. It's not it's not an easy process. I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. None of the things I bring up ever are. They all take practice. They really, really do. But it's doable and it's worth it. If a craving feels like a problem for you, you can solve that problem by not having that craving thought and by neutralizing that craving thought. When you can find the answer to a question or or find some part of it that's like faulty logic. I mean, the fact is most of our thoughts do have some faulty logic in there somewhere. I mean, you can find something to dig underneath the thought. And then as you do that, you don't necessarily have to have a new thought immediately, but eventually you will want to think something slightly different. When you can think something slightly different, it'll give you a little bit more wedge underneath that old thought. It'll give you something to think about instead of the thought. When the old thought comes up, you can be like, oh, that's right. Here's that old thought. But remember, I can actually think something else. And here's that new thought that I wanted to practice. Generally speaking, your new thought is going to be something just slightly different, but completely believable in almost the same way as the original thought. Then your brain's going to have to choose between the two of them. So that's why you're going to have to be really careful about making sure that it's believable because your old thought has plenty of, plenty of roots in there, plenty of stick to it. So a new thought is going to need to be believable. It doesn't have to be something like, I don't have this craving <laughs> because, because you do, you have the thought, it's right there in front of you. But you could think something like, it's possible that this craving doesn't always have to be with me. It's possible that I don't have to do something about this craving. It's possible that this craving is a thought and not a fact. 
that might be a great place to start. It's possible that I can think something else. Now, here's the thing that I'm going to tell you about, about cravings, but honestly about a lot of thoughts that you might have. You might continue to have cravings. There are still times when I think I'd love to have two cupcakes. There are times when I think, oh my gosh, it sounds so great to have a you know, fill in the blank, something I haven't eaten in a long time because I choose not to eat things. When, when those thoughts come up, when you've done this kind of mindset work, when you have gotten yourself to a position where you can see really clearly that that thought is just a thought and it's not a fact and it doesn't have to be acted on, you won't think about it as a problem anymore. And this is where I'm coming to with the digging it up by the weed or digging it up by the roots of the weeds in your garden. When I say that, I don't mean that you're never going to have cravings ever again, that you're never going to desire something ever again. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that it won't be a problem. You still have the thought. The thought won't be problematic. It won't feel like a weed anymore. It won't feel so all-encompassing. It won't feel like something that you don't have control over. It won't feel like a desire, an urge, an uncontrollable thing that you can't help yourself. It'll simply feel like a thought. Like I was saying with the somewhere between 10 and 60,000 thoughts, and one of them for me today is that I need to do laundry. You could have the thought, gee, two cupcakes sounds delicious, and it can be every bit as neutral to you as laundry is to me. And again, that only makes sense if you actually don't really care much about laundry and it's perfectly fine. If you have a strong opinion about laundry, please substitute whatever it is that you have a really mild opinion about. Like, oh, oh yeah, I got to do laundry today. How about that? Or, oh, I got to, you know drive to the grocery store today, whatever, whatever it is that you can think about that, you know, it's there. Maybe you'll act on it. Maybe you won't. Maybe it's something that needs to be addressed. Maybe it doesn't. It's just, it's a thought. It's a thing. I do need to eat. So am I going to have two cupcakes? I'm going to have something else. Eh, Probably have something else because I don't have cupcakes in my house and don't really need two cupcakes. Not really that strong of an urge. Not really that big of a deal. Maybe I'll throw in a load of laundry while I'm not eating cupcakes. (laughs) Your brain will offer you familiar thoughts. As far as I can tell forever. I mean, we've had this conversation about how often I still hear the thought that I'm stupid. Pretty frequently. It comes up at least a couple of times a day, honestly, still. And I have long since understood that that is a thought. I don't have to believe it. It's not true. I've completely neutralized the emotional charge. It doesn't hurt my feelings anymore. It's kind of amusing, honestly, at this point. Like, oh my gosh, there you are again. How about that? Your brain will continue to offer you cravings, possibly forever. You won't be white knuckling it because you won't be resisting that thought. You won't be resisting that strong urge because you've done the work 
of recognizing it as a thought, of understanding why your brain is going to continue to offer you those kinds of thoughts, and you've wiggled up underneath it. You've really reduced the emotional charge, and you've given yourself new thoughts to think. That's all the steps. That's everything. That is your practical slice up carrots and have them nearby, but this is way better for you. Steps to creating a better relationship with cravings. Did you notice how I changed that? You're not dealing with cravings because cravings aren't a problem. You have a relationship with cravings. You have a relationship with your thoughts. Your thoughts exist. That actually is a fact. You have thoughts. What you do with those thoughts is all about whatever you want to do. Your relationship with them determines what you'll do with your thoughts. You guys, I know this was a lot. I I strongly suspect that this is one of those ones that you're going to need to listen to a couple of times to to really get where you're going and to really truly be able to even understand the very first concept that what you're thinking is thoughts and not facts. I strongly urge you to put in the time on this. Put in the work. Put in the effort. Think about what you're thinking and recognize it as thinking. I really, really, really hope that this was helpful. Thank you, thank you, thank you to my original questioner. This was, this was amazing. You guys, I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll talk to you again soon. Mm-hmm.